The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. As always, unfortunately, the last two weeks, for lots of really interesting reasons, I wasn't on the air. And the main reason is that I physically visited Barcelona for Mobile World Congress. And I am pleased to report that despite the madness of the pandemic, despite the craziness that COVID has done to the world, it was pretty insane to join, they report, 20,000 other people in the halls doing your thing um, and visiting and speaking in real person. I mean, it changes absolutely everything. But I'll be back with a whole lot of info around Mobile World Barcelona. A lot of the a lot of the stuff was virtual, but anyway, we will be back with a, a full report of what was discussed there, some of the new announcements that were made, and some of the key issues that are being dealt with in the mobile world. Because no question, the world has shifted, and we are seeing big changes in the communication and the technology landscape, and it affects all of us. And in fact, we've got uh, Brendan Ambrose coming in. Uh, at 11.30 to update us on the Papier uh, changes that came into force on 1 July and a lot of restrictions but a lot of uh, exceptions for the moment. So we'll be back straight after this with uh, some more news and technology stuff. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Anybody who is even thinking about it and over the age of 50, go and do your thing and get vaccinated as quickly as possible because I've been fortunate enough to experience life without Corona being an overriding nightmare. And it is good. It is good to be out and about. It's good to interact with people. It's good to go to actual conferences and sit and watch real people on a stage in combination with a whole host of people that were streaming online from places such as Tel Aviv, California, you name it, but still, the shift has started and we are absolutely starting to re-emerge into the new world where you can meet, you can greet, you can have a drink with people, you can discuss business, you can discuss life, and you can get on with things. So vaccination is the key part from anything. That's my little rant on of the day for now. So back to tech. What is happening is crazy, I must admit. TikTok now if you're under the age of 20, guaranteed you know about TikTok, and possibly if you're under the age of 30, you know about TikTok. It's essentially a video platform, social media video platform, where you do short-form short videos, share them with your friends, people like you, comment. It's just another way of doing things, but it's video. And for the most part, um, your CV, your resume, has always been a paper thing. Well, guess what? TikTok have now launched a site called TikTok Resumes. And guess what you can do? You can apply for your dream job with a TikTok video. Now, the videos are limited in length, but you can get a lot of information in there. And they are encouraging. It's it's currently only available in the USA for now. I'm sure it will follow really quickly around the world. But there are a host of companies that are, I've just clicked on search job openings. You just go to TikTok resumes.com and have a look. A whole host of really big companies have, uh, are advertising on there. 
and, and they've got a whole ton of different jobs, and they're asking you to apply with a video, which is a very, very, very different thing than carefully typing up a paper resume, going onto LinkedIn, and modifying your profile to make it look good. This is you, in real life, trying to convince a an employer to give you a job. But I've been through quite a few, and I must tell you, I think it's it's quite a revelation in terms of what's going on. Mostly young people, very young people between, I would say, the ages of 18 and 25. But still, the whole idea of applying with your face, with your personality, with your qualifications online, with a video, through your phone, or if you're pretty TikTok savvy, you've got your little lights and you've got all your various equipment to make really good videos. It's still, I think, a great way to add. Don't discard your um, paper CV yet, I'm sure, or your electronic CV. I think that's still going to be really relevant. But be aware that in the nearest future, you're going to have to have a video to share with your prospective employer. So all you guys out there who are looking for jobs, and trust me, after this pandemic is over, we're all going to be looking for some sort of new career, new sort of job uh, as that's going to be one of the big changes we're going to have to deal with. But in the interim, go check out TikTok. Have a look at some of the crazy videos. Um, I've found some really interesting recipes. I've found some interesting home improvement stuff. There's, there's just an insane amount of really interesting co- uh, content, along with a ton of other rubbish. But that's social media for you. And uh, possibly you may even need to know how to do this so that you can apply for your next dream job. So check out uh, TikTok resume or it, it actually reads tiktok resumes that's the best way to spell it dot com but pronounced re, you know resume anyhow check it out you might uh, just find your dream job through that in the usa for now but i'm sure it'll come pretty much everywhere in the nearish nearish future now another huge shift that is coming and this this actually came out today which is really interesting is that Nedbank has finally communicated to their staff that they are planning to shift to a hybrid workforce for workforce model. Now, the pandemic, most of us across the globe have worked from home or mostly worked from home for the last 18 months. And 18 months, they say three months, you know, you form a habit. But after 18 months, you've got used to the dogs. As you heard the advert earlier, you got used to the hardy dogs screaming in the background. You got used to the kids popping in and out. I mean, the craziness that's ensued when people are wearing shorts, shorts and a, a suit jacket is, is is quite something. We've all changed. We've all learned to do what we can do without going into the office. And it is going to come back. It is definitely better to go have meetings in person, communicate directly with people. But human contact is a really fundamental part of being human. And I'm no doubt that despite the best efforts of technology, we are going to still have a situation where people are going to meet and have to go to offices in the real world. But the shift, the long-term shift, is exactly what Nedbank have communicated. Their entire corporate staff, including all the professional services firms, auditors, consultants, you name them, legal guys, have all been working from home forever. And this, especially at the more senior and executive levels, has now hybridized, I know we're in lockdown currently, but has hybridized into a form of shift system. Some people in the office, 
Some people are not in the office. People work and move. But what Nedbank have done, and it's significant because they're the first of the biggest country companies in the country, that essentially have said they've reviewed their real estate portfolio. They've instructed their team to look at what they're going to do in the post-COVID era. And they're going to change the way that they operate with regard to office space, with regard to locations, because what they're offering people is a blended approach to working between the home and the office. So the vast majority of people are going to land up working partially in the office on occasion with around about a 60-40 split. This is what they anticipate. It may change, but I think that's a very reasonable amount. And they believe that 60% of all their office staff will work only on their campuses at a given day. So think about that. All the offices, all the various branches, all the the workstations and furniture and everything that they plan for 100% attendance at work, which was the way it was, has got to change. So offices will get smaller. The need for hot desking will grow. So in other words, you can arrive at an office, connect up your laptop, all the connections and everything work the way they should. But it's not your space. You don't have your little pot plant and all the stuff on your desk. It's just a place you use. Call, you know, rooms, all meeting rooms are going to have some form of video conferencing because at any point in time, a number of people globally and locally will be connecting to you via some form of, of remote work. So well done for finally admitting that we have a change coming. And it's going to be big. It's going to affect property. It's going to affect offices. It's going to affect you and I. It's a big change. So Nedbank have realized it and are planning for the future. On that note, we'll be back with some more interesting news straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And the next 20 minutes are normally my Tech Talk Cafe segment where we have interesting people. And I do have an interesting person coming to join us at 11.30 in 10 minutes' time. Just giving us a quick update to Popia and what's happened. July 1, it went live. We are now in the Popier era, but there have been some major sort of exceptions. There have been some delays in certain regulations, and it's all a little bit confusing. So Brendan Ambrose from Advanced Intellect Privacy Division will be joining us just to give us a quick update of what we do or don't need to do for Popier now and what we can expect over the next little while. But it, it's a reality, protection of, of personal information, data, privacy, and all that sort of stuff is is continuing to be a massive, massive topic globally in, in Europe the G, with their GDPR, which is the, their version of Popia. In fact, Popia is based pretty much on a lot of the, the, the basic stuff from the GDPR. They've really got teeth. They find people millions, uh, in fact, tens of millions of euros, and they are real teeth, and the hacks have not stopped. Security is becoming more of an issue, so the, the relevance of Popia is more and more coming to the fore, and we need to know what is and what isn't going on. But for the next few minutes, I want to just discuss what happened at MWC, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and what the overriding sort of themes and and, and the stuff that happened there. Now, it was pretty insane. It was almost nerve-wracking to arrive in a hall. They did PCR tests, or not PCR, they did rapid tests before you could enter, so every day you had to declare that you were well, get tested, and only then could you enter this massive hall with 20,000 of your closest friends. And 
There was a massive startup conference, which was super interesting to see all the various new developments in startups. And again, it wasn't a gadget show. There weren't a lot of new toys at all because no one could touch and feel and see. Some of the big boys, the Samsungs and the Ericsons and those guys who normally use Mobile World to launch their latest and greatest gadgets were absent, did all their stuff via, um, you know, uh, online streaming. So all the guys were at Mobile World, just not physically. So there were 100,000 people who did attend virtually, which is pretty interesting. But they did manage to get 20,000 people in to a convention center in a city that had just only recently come out of some form of lockdown. Masks were not needed outside the um, the convention center. Inside the convention center, you were, they insisted you wear an N95 surgical or medical mask to make sure everyone was safe. And so far, so good. It seems that there were no major problems and everything went off really smoothly. But from a technology point of view, the, the, the overriding theme was 5G is now mainstream. And what 5G brings is a whole new way of being always connected at ultra-wide bandwidth to systems, platforms, people, businesses, farms, you name it. The, the level of connectivity across the world has just jumped exponentially. And 5G is right on track. Both fixed 5G like we've got in South Africa along with mobile 5G, which is also available in very limited amounts in South Africa, but pretty much ubiquitous across most of Europe and America and good good chunks of the, of the Far East and the East. So 5G has now become, the, the talk was all about what are the new platforms? What are the benefits of having a low latency, high speed, always connected, moderately low cost uh, network and network slicing, which is the ability to take a 5G network and slice it up into little relevant bits for companies, for machinery, for mines, for underground, you name it. It doesn't matter where you go. You can have your own little virtual network. And that was huge business in the general event. But interesting, I attended a conference with uh, Elon Musk dialed in. He wasn't there in real, real life, but he was talking about his new Starlink system, which is up and running, and there are 69,000 people using it. He expects it to grow to 500,000 people. And for Africa and certainly most of the world, the unconnected 3% or 5% that will never have 5G will never be connected with fiber. And somewhere in between, satellite internet sits between 5G and fiber to offer a relatively, and they're talking fairly low latency, it's as good as, in, as, good as mobile for the most part, 20 millisecond. Latency is the time it takes for the signal to get to the satellite, to the server, and back to you, which is pretty insane considering these signals are shooting up all the way up into the, the into space almost, near space, but still space, and then coming down to some sort of hub somewhere and then breaking into the Internet. So he's managed to create a platform that is pretty much going live. It is coming or it is, I think, available in South Africa to some extent. So... The world is getting smaller, connectivity is getting greater, and Mr. Elon Musk has definitely got some big plans to bring connectivity to people who have never been connected before. And that was pretty cool. There were a ton of other very interesting talks from the various mobile networks, and mobile networks have, without question, become the ISPs, the network They used to be voice providers, but essentially they're now massive connectivity providers across the globe. They're all interconnected. 
They're all working. It's pretty seamless when you take your cell phone globally. It costs you a fortune, but you can be connected anywhere, anytime, at any place um, in the most remarkable, remarkable way. And generally, the discussions at Mobile World were all about how to optimize, how to create new business environments around the ability to be always on, always connected. And of course, the cloud was a huge, huge thing. Everyone's systems were running in the cloud. Everyone had a mobile device. Everyone has an app or some form of platform on their mobile device. And that allowed you to do the most ridiculous things, check on people, bang from anywhere in the world. And again, that plays into the new, I'm not going to use the word new normal because it isn't a new normal. It's the evolution of business and life in the new world that we live in. Coming out of COVID over the next year or so, we're going to find that people will need and take totally for granted the ability to operate at 100% with regard to their businesses, with regard to their platforms. Whatever it is that they're doing, it will be available on any device, anywhere. And that's something that we've spoken about a ton over the last couple of years, but it's now become an absolute reality. Everything that you do will be able to be done online in real time. Video is taking over. The song when we started the show was Video Killed the Radio. Well, it didn't kill radio for us, but it's killing everything else. Everything will be video, even your CVs, as I said, with TikTok. So, so much has changed in the space, and it was never more apparent that here we were running a conference with 120,000 people participating, 20,000 in real life, 100,000 spread across the globe, doing all sorts of very interesting things, listening to very interesting people, discussing the launches of new chips, new platforms, new radio networks, you name it, were all happening across the globe from a conference based in Barcelona. So, so much has changed and so much has happened in that space that we are going to see ever more acceleration into the ever-connected cloud-based systems and if you're not connected, you're going to drop behind. And that's a real challenge for a country like South Africa. So now um, I see we do have Brendan on the line. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thanks, Stephen. It's nice to be on. Nice to be on. I appreciate the time. Now, as I said earlier, Papier <laughs> came into force on 1 July. And, you know, there were a lot of uh, things that people needed to do. And it was really quite a challenge because I often get this question. Well, what's it got to do with me? I don't deal with anyone's personal data. But the truth yeah. is, if you're in business, and even if you're running an informal business, which is not registered, you are somehow affected by Popier. But because of certain system issues and other issues, it appears that Popier wasn't ready for us, even though it's come into force in law. Give us a quick update of where we are, what's happening, and what everybody needs to be to, to be careful of. I like that Popier wasn't ready for us. Um, so you're right. Popier has come into effect on 1 July. You, everyone listening has probably received a 1,000 Popier emails requesting consent or saying that you're on a mailing list. So I think that's already a very positive start. Whether all those emails were strictly required is debatable. But it's a good start in terms of building a culture of privacy across South African business and across South African consumers so that we have this expectation of privacy from the companies we deal with. I think the most important thing to, to realize with Poppier is, one, that it's in effect and that it is now running and that companies are now liable to be compliant with it um, and that there are fines and regulatory sanctions and things that do attach to it. But more importantly, 
um, the market is moving towards a more private model. So you're more likely to receive requests from your clients and suppliers with regard to Papier compliance than you are to be fined by a regulator. So the market will probably move towards a bit of a self-adjusting model with the stick of the regulator always in the back of everyone's minds, right? The second thing That's to really realize, interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, 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 it's most likely because of just the, the context and the culture of our business, most likely going to be more effective in a self-policing uh, model. Um, it's unfortunately our regulator does not have the resources and the capacity to deal with every single Papier infringement. Which leads me to my next point, which is Papier applies to every single organization and every single company. There are exceptions such as household use for, use for journalistic purposes um, and a couple others, but for, if you are a private company operating within South Africa or a closed corporation or a trust, you have to comply with or an association or a sports club, anything, any sort of juristic person. So, so even people who set up a little, um, what do they call them, where you live in a flat and you've got a, a, an association? Yes, yeah, so body corporates, absolutely. Body corporates, uh, and all those sort of guys are subject to Papier. Yes, you know, they are. And companies that deal with that sort of personal information, I think, will be looked upon with greater scrutiny. I mean, the smaller companies that don't deal with so much personal information, while Papier still applies to them, and there's no, and that's the second thing, is that there's no threshold requirement in Papier. So it's not saying that you're under $200,000 a year in revenue, therefore Papier doesn't apply to you. There's no threshold. It has to apply to every single company, which is not the global standard, but is not a terrible thing either. Um, mainly because compliance with Papier as a small company is not that difficult and not that onerous. In fact, it actually just lends to good business practice. The small clients that I've dealt with um, in, with Papier, getting them compliant where they've, where they've been a sort of one-man-run organization with you know, five, six employees or 14, 15 employees, because everything goes through one central point, reaching compliance with Papier is a very simple and very cheap exercise because there's not much to do. In truth, if you're running a fairly clean business, there's a lot that's already you're already doing that's in line with the privacy principles in Papier. What you need there is you need the relevant notices and things in your contracts and, and just standard compliance stuff, but it's not massively onerous. So not having a threshold requirement isn't terrible. In my mind, it, it results in a general uh, understanding and a general expectation of privacy. up an awareness of privacy. Exactly, exactly, which is, I think, incredibly important in the market, and it tends to push the bigger companies and the enterprise companies to be compliant as well. So practically, if I can just ask, right now, you should not get as many robocalls and, and all that sort of stuff unless you've given explicit permission for these companies to contact you. In theory, and now we're, we're talking about direct marketing, which is, which is dealt with under, under a specific section in Poppy and, and PIA and the Consumer Protection Act. Um, that's a very specific, that's a very specific provision. Okay. Yeah. And in truth, you are, they are only technically allowed to contact you once to ask for your consent to be on the list. Um, they can attach all sorts of things to it. And the same thing applies to emails. So if, if someone contacts you and goes, hi, we would like you to be on our mailing list, but we're willing to give you a 15% discount off of our, off of your first purchase. That's very popular at the moment. And I think that's a pretty prudent business decision and a pretty prudent way to go about things when you're in the retail space. However, you shouldn't be receiving multiple phone calls just saying, hi, we've noticed that the car you sold two years ago has run, the motor plan has run out. Um, we would like to give you a new one. We would like to offer you some, some post uh, motor plan service. 
that you should, in theory, stop receiving. I don't know if that's going to be the case until a couple of companies are fined by the regulator. I think people might take the wait and find out model and see how that works. But in theory, yes, it creates regulatory sanctions and it creates a, a big stick for these companies to stop phoning you. I've noticed a, a steep decline in the last six days, seven days since Papier came into effect. But that could just be a fluke. I mean, it's not, it's not much time. <laughs> no, but things were crazy. June had to be the, the craziest month for 087 numbers popping up on my phone. So Absolutely. I think there is probably a little bit of caution coming from the companies. But if you're a small to medium organization, what specifically do you need to do now? Because I think just share with us what hasn't come into force or, or what the, the issues are with Popier not being ready for us for the moment. So that's a very good question because a couple of things happened before Popier came into effect. And when I mean before Popier came into effect, I mean literally days before it came into effect. The first thing is that all companies had to register an information officer. That was the, that was the initial deadline. And that, that registration opened on the 1st of May and the deadline was the 1st of July, the 30th, well, midnight of the 30th of June. That has been put on hold. And now the, the, reg, the regulator is asking you either email them with your application for registration of your information officer. Problem with that is that the inbox is full. So your emails do not land. Surprise, surprise. The other option is to send it to them via post, which they ask you not to do because of Corona. Um, so right now, the registration of information officers, the portal is not up. So you technically don't have to do it right now. You need to appoint one in as a matter of fact. You don't need to register it with the regulator. So you should be appointing an information officer. And that's sorry, maybe it's important to say who that person is. So that person is the, is the, has the role to ensure that data within your organization is handled in accordance with the relevant privacy laws. That person by default is the CEO or the MD of the company unless that, unless that authority is delegated to a specific person. I recommend appointing one internally with a regular appointment letter like you'd appoint anyone else to do anything else in your business and set out the relevant uh, obligations, rules, and then indemnities and liabilities and things like that 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 person takes on because there are specific liabilities that accrue to the information officer themselves at a personal level. So it's important to keep that in mind. The second thing is application for prior approval. The previous deadline has been extended to um, February 2022. Um, on request. Just to find prior approval. I think most so, people wouldn't know what that is. I'll get into that in a second. So okay. th- that, that deadline has been extended. However, that deadline was not particularly pertinent for most companies. So prior, prior approval from the information regulator was only required in certain circumstances, like if you're processing special personal information, like criminal records, financial information, sending information overseas without the um, without the consent of the data subject to a country that has zero privacy laws, things like that. Um, it is required in, by certain com- uh, in certain industries. So like, for instance, forensic investigators would require prior approval, things like that. So most companies wouldn't require prior approval, but it is something to keep in mind. I mean, if let's say you're a company dealing with the special personal information of children, schools may require prior approval. And that was a bit... That was that was quite stressful in the month leading up to uh, the implementation of Papier because a lot of my clients did process special personal information and did require prior approval, and you'd get no response from the regulator in terms of um, what needs to be done, 
needs to be obtained. So that's now that's now been extended simply because I don't think the regulator has the capacity to deal with all these applications and they need to build that capacity. Absolutely. Well, I'm afraid. <laughs> Thank you for that quick roundup and summary. But if people want to know more and find out more about this, where do they get hold of you or the, or your company to 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 check what they need to do or not need to do? Great. So you can look me up on LinkedIn at Brendan Ambrose. What's Brendan Ambrose? Um, or you can go to advance.tech.tech um, and have a look there. And what we've done is we've also put up some very interesting white papers. Well, I think they're interesting because I wrote them. But we put up some some white papers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, on the on on Tech Central, which should be on their homepage at the moment, and that just deals with an overview of Papier, the difference between Papier and the GDPR, and then if you want to get really technical, how you use Papier to enhance your data analytics. Well, great! Thanks for the update, and we'll stay tuned to see what else happens in this crazy world of data privacy. So we get a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back soon. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Very, very interesting. Uh, I did virtually attend the Samsung Samsung press conference at MWC, and it was all about interesting stuff like RANs and WANs and, and, and other technical stuff, and they were very, very strong. In fact, they are very strong in 5G. And even there was a lot of discussion, not at that conference, overall, of the new generation that's coming in a few years called 6G. So we're not done yet. We had three, four, five, now we're on to 6G. But anyway, Samsung did not release, as per usual, any devices at Mobile World. But the rumor is there will be a unpacked, Galaxy unpacked event next, uh, next month, August the 11th, give or take. And they are going to release at least four or five new devices. And some of the coolest ones which I've played with, they're a little bit not ready for prime time right now, are the Galaxy Z Folds, the 2, and the Flip 2, which which are currently available for those of you who've got lots of spare cash and love to have the latest gizmos. But they are announcing the Fold 3 and the Flip 3, and there's been some real advances in the technology of, of flexible screens, so I expect to see a much more mainstream approach to both those those units. And they did also announce recently their association with Google um, and Google Gear, which is the new or the old recently updated operating system for, for, for wearables. And we should see those come, the new Watch 4, the Watch 4 Active, along with some new headphones and other accessories roundabout then. So technology gadgets are still a big deal, but I think the whole change in the environment has slowed things down just a tad and we're going to see less and less uh, you know or rather more distributed launch of these products over a over the year rather than all at once um, across you know at an event like mobile world but we'll see next year it might change we might start seeing a whole bunch of new products pop up in february march next year in the usual sort of way but one of the other big announcements in the last little while since i haven't been talking is Windows 11. Microsoft have finally launched a new version of Windows. It's Windows 11, and it's going to be a free upgrade for most people using Windows. But the first glance, if you've been watching anything, is that Windows 11 looks a whole lot like Mac, Mac OS for your Mac. It has a, they've gathered all the icons in the middle, pretty similar in many ways to, to a Mac OS. All the edges are nicely rounded. 
and the whole system looks super polished. But they announced a couple of really, really interesting things. Right now, it is pretty much, with the exception of a few changes, pretty much a physical rebrand or redesign of the operating SIMP system. But what they've done is they've revamped and simplified the design quite considerably. I've played with the beta now for a few days, and there's no question. It's slicker, it's smoother, it's it's much more refined looking. And again, it, the similarities to Mac OS are, are pretty pronounced. Sometimes I get a little confused what I'm using because I load Windows on my Mac. So it gets pretty strange. But what they've also done um, is they've made some really good performance improvements. Even the beta is really snappy and easy to use. There's some really good new gaming features. I think they're pushing that envelope. Windows has always been the gaming platform of choice. Um, and the Windows Store looks vastly different. The other big thing is that Skype is no longer part of the, the deal. They fully integrated Teams, as and, and Teams, if you didn't know this, is essentially built on Skype technology. But they've fully integrated Teams into the operating system so that it now is the de facto way that you can communicate. Skype is still available. It downloads and runs. Speaking to you on Skype right now, no problem whatsoever. But Teams is now built into the operating system. And the whole look and feel of all the logos and all the default Windows apps is, is a little slicker. The startup menu is simplified. It looks really nice. It doesn't have any of those live tiles from Windows 10, which I never really used. I didn't quite get the, 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 the need for that. But multitasking is improved. Multi-monitor uh, support is improved. I'm using two monitors. Not that I've noticed any serious difference between the two. But overall, it's they hyped it like mad. But essentially is that... It is the same operating system with some a visual, complete re visual refresh and a big update in terms of certain elements. One of the key elements is that with their partnership with Amazon, that's an interesting one, you will be able to use the Amazon App Store and run all Android apps on your, your Mac or on your Windows machine. So the same way as uh, Mac is allowing iOS, um, apps to run on the M1 versions, you will now be able to run Android apps directly on your, your Windows machine. There is one drawback. Not every machine will be able to run Windows 11. You need a certain thing called the TPM chip, which is a security chip, in your in your Windows machine in order to be able to run it. So a whole host of, of older Windows machines will never get Windows 11. They'll continue to support and update Windows 10 on those machines. But the newer machines, with all the necessary hardware, will be able to um, run the new version of Windows 11. It will be available on beta right now. You can go download. You can join their preview um, platform, and you can you can download Windows 11, upgrade your PC. I found a few, very few bugs or, or problems. A couple of things do weird things. So if you're not uh, if you you're a little concerned, I'd hold off until the preview builds become a little bit more stable. But right now they're pretty pretty slick and, and smooth. Works absolutely fine on all the, on the two machines I've tried. The other PCs and all the other um, it, all the other units, depending on whether they're hardware compatible, will or will not get it. But it will be a free upgrade for all Windows 10 PCs and will be available on all new PCs 
probably towards the end of the year. So check it out. I think it's it's really interesting. And Windows are, are definitely doing what they can to stay relevant in this new era and getting video conferencing built in. Certainly not a bad thing at all. And we will see even their office uh, outlook and all the rest have been mechified a little with the new look. And um, I'm playing with that, too. So it's it's just slick. It's smooth and it's clean. So we'll be back straight after this. And we're going to be talking about a little bit of hardware that's come across my desk. Well, I haven't played with it yet, but it's it's launched and it should be really interesting. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And as we were talking about the new normal and the new way of working and people are going to be working at home, working in the office, working between the two. Over the years, video conferencing started out as being an extremely expensive thing. I remember clearly when Polycom were the boys, they had these fancy big screens and expensive equipment with microphones everywhere and decent speakers to give you a virtual, you know, uh, conferencing feel within a big boardroom. Cisco also did. But these systems were very expensive. They were talking about hundreds of thousands of rands, in some cases little ones with tens of thousands of rands, for systems that really did make video conferencing pretty good quality and pretty useful. But now, smartphones, laptops, anyone with a camera, bit of Skype, a little bit of Teams, bit of Zoom, and you're a video conferencing master. Over the years, also, companies like Logitech, you know, mice, uh, they used to be the mice and uh, keyboard people, have also brought out exceptionally good quality um, video conferencing products at very reasonable prices, down into the thousands for some of them, you know, and a few 10, 20,000 for fancy systems that used to cost hundreds for the boardroom. So overall, the, the video conferencing issue has become part ubiquitous. It's part of every office, every desktop, everywhere you go. Now, Jabra, um, a company that have been known for making headphones and all sorts of interesting stuff for the last few years, have come up with a new age version of, of video conferencing. And what they've done, they call it the intelligent video bar. And they've got a couple, they've got three different versions, personal camera, the, the Panacast 20, and the Panacast 50, which is their big one. But what they've done is taken into account some of the stuff that we're dealing with now. It's got AI built right into the the unit, so it can check the safety capacity and room usage insights with regard to who's in the room, how many people in the room, where they're sitting, and it also generates anonymous room occupancy data if you want to set any particular standard for that. It also has a lot of sort of artificial intelligence and processes built directly into the cameras, which will follow the conversation um, as you're having it and automatically switch to give you a feel. But even better than that, at the same time, there are two separate streams. So you can be using one monitor or half your monitor to show a presentation while the voices and the people pop around. So hybrid working is definitely going to become more and more relevant and the ability for these type of solutions to to give you a much more focused ability of working without any hassle from you. So these things take on a sort of a role of a director. So as you speak, it follows the video stream to follow the action of the movie. So you get a much more, I would say, human-centric 
uh, and more immersive type of environment than just simply watching five little blocks on a screen. Because currently it becomes really difficult to watch the interaction between people in a room or people on a screen when it's tiny and sitting on top of a PowerPoint presentation, on a, even on a big screen. So I think this is a really cool idea. I'd like to play with this one of these days and see. Now, obviously, good quality sound, lots of cameras, lots of processes built in to optimize. You need, as usual, it's all very high definition, and you need decent internet to get it going. But overall, I think the idea of having a much more immersive platform that is much more in tune with the dynamics of human interaction in meetings is a great one. And it's about time that these sort of simple video conferencing systems, call them what you will, are starting to take that into account and actually build it directly into the the, the hardware that we're using. So from beamforming microphones that detect your voice, optimize where how the mic works and, and, and brings your voice into, even if you're sitting at the back, these sort of technologies have been around for a while, but I think putting them all together along with video forming, in other words, it follow follows the person as you move. If you want to move and present, it'll follow you. So all of this is now available in the new Jabra, Jabra gear. You can check it out on their website. And uh, I'm going to try it in the next little while, and I'm going to uh, let you know how well it works. But the pricing not been announced yet, but I think it will be sort of Logitech space, not Polycom space, so it's not going to be stupid. But uh, cutting-edge tech always costs a little bit more. And on that note, on the hybrid way of working, um, I'm checking out till next week, same place, same time, right here on High FM. Tune in for all the latest, latest gizmos, gadgets, and some interesting people that I'm talking to around um, what's happening in the tech world. I've got a guy from Sony from Israel joining us hopefully next week. So it should be a great show. So stay tuned right here on 101.9 with Stephen Ambrose for High FM.